Welcome to the Here to Evolve podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Alessandra. And in this podcast, we take topics from both health and fitness, as well as the business side of things. We run two businesses, SD Evolution and Fit Coach Pro, and have a pretty unique perspective because we've had a lot of success, but we are not quite at the top of the food chain yet. Our mission is to help break down these topics so you can learn in an easy to digest manner and apply them into your daily life. In today's episode, we are going to be discussing the three primary forms, methods, of weight loss. But first, if you are a returning listener, you know the deal. Leave a quick review. If you have not already, you guys have been studs recently. I will say, leaving a bunch of reviews. Join the stud club. If you're not in the stud club, please quickly join the stud club. Five stars, quick review, leave in a paragraph form if you have time. We appreciate you. New listeners, same deal. If you appreciate this episode, if you learned something from it, you took something from it, go back and listen to a whole bunch more and then leave a quick five-star review, a quick sentence, few sentences, paragraph, if you have the time. Share us on social media, tag us. We'll have a little conversation about it. But diving right in. Three primary methods of weight loss. And which one we think is- loss. Not necessarily. All right. Well, let's get into There's it. There's different levels to it. Different levels. We'll, lay, we'll name them off and then we'll go through them. So the three primary methods are caloric restriction, dietary restriction, and time restriction. Caloric restriction is eating what you want. You could call it, if it's your macros, you could call it counting macros, counting calories, but simply restricting calories below your maintenance threshold. The next one being dietary restriction where you're cutting out an entire food group or food groups, which theoretically should reduce your caloric intake. And then time restriction where you're only eating within a certain window. Some of you may know that as intermittent fasting. All three, however, Hmm? all three, however, put you in a calorie deficit in some way. So these are just theoretically, these are different ways you can achieve that. And we're going to talk about the pros and cons to all three, um, where our philosophy sort of lies and yeah. So first one. Well, let's, let's go into this a little bit further. So first of all, I'm going to give a little credit to, uh, Peter Atia. I'm reading his book outlive. I thought he did a great job highlighting these three categories and I thought it would be nice to talk about them, dive into them a little bit further. Um, and then we may agree or disagree on, on some forms of, of which is the best, if there is an ideal method. Um, but I think we can all agree whatever you fit into, whatever fits your lifestyle and you can maintain for the longer term is the ideal method. But there is one clear winner in our opinion, which so we'll go through that at the end. But first, we will start with caloric restriction. The simple yet not so simple process of counting macros, counting calories at you know, the foundational level, if you're counting nothing else, you're counting calories, uh, but why we feel it is important to count all macros specifically. Um, that is essentially establishing a maintenance baseline. Maintenance is the calories you can consume without losing or gaining weight. That is your maintenance threshold. You're going to start with that caloric number and then ideally manipulate protein, carbs, and fats accordingly to hit that number. So caloric restriction is coming in below that. So if we're looking to lose weight, ideally lose fat, we need to be a good chunk amount, good chunk of calories below that maintenance number. At a minimum, it's probably 200, 250 calories, depending on how fast you want to lose weight, or you can safely do so. For some, it may be significantly more than that. 
Um, just depends on the situation. Now, the reason we go further than simply counting calories is because if you want to prioritize fat loss, which you do, we all do, we're not just trying to lose weight, otherwise you're getting skinnier and fatter, we need to have an idea of where protein is coming in. That's really the king. At a bare minimum, if you're counting calories and protein, you're in a really good spot because carbs and fats, the ratios of calories coming from those, those can be preferential just based on what you prefer to consume, but it's also based on how you respond best. Now we may um, metabolize fats or carbs better, you know, genetically, you may improve body composition by manipulating those numbers and figuring out, you know, what is more efficient for your personal body. And this is something we have sort of pivoted, if you will, as coaches over the years. Like when we started online coaching, we were all about like tracking protein, carbs, fats, total calories. Everybody had to had to do all of those things. Whereas now we have some clients who do track all of those things and fiber and amongst other things. And then we have some clients who just do protein and calories. And I will say for most of you listening, for most of the general population, if you're doing just protein and calories and you're kind of just letting carbs and fats fall where they may, you're going to feel pretty good. You're going to be in a good place as long as you're not being super restrictive on one end versus the other. But, you know, the most important, the two most important things there are protein and calories. Yeah. So if you're doing this and you want to take the lax route, as long as you're focused on your calorie number and your protein number and whole foods. So filling these numbers with whole foods, nutrient dense foods, you're going to be in a really good spot, really, really good spot, not just improving body composition, um, but also improving biofeedback, improving how you feel, uh, improving metabolic health, improving overall health, all those things we're looking for, all those individual longevity markers. It's not just, oh, um, I lost 10 pounds. I lost 3% body fat. It's, I feel really good while I'm doing this. Now, you can be in a caloric restricted caloric restriction um, in a phase and lose weight and improve body composition and be hungry all the time and feel like shit. That happens by eating those highly palatable foods, those candy bars, those chips, those things that aren't filling you up. But if you're eating whole foods, you're consuming a ton of fiber, drinking a lot of, a lot of water along the way as well, those are very dense calories. They take up more room in your stomach, so you're literally more full, and that satiety lasts longer. So satiety is increased by consuming whole foods. So you can lose weight, and you might be hungry sometimes, but you're not going to be nearly as hungry as if you were consuming a whole bunch of junk food. That, and that was your, if it's your macros, Pop-Tarts for breakfast, pancakes for lunch. I think the, also, the other important consideration here also is that if you have been either intentionally or unintentionally eating in a deficit for an extended period of time, you may feel one of two things. You may feel hungry all the time and be constantly thinking about food. And that's an indicator that it was just, you've been in that deficit way too long or what we tend to see happen is somebody who's been in that deficit for way too long, and maybe you even are eating mostly nutrient-dense foods, but you've been in a deficit for six-plus months, you probably will find it really hard to eat more. You will find it really hard to just note your hunger signals and your hunger cues because your body has adapted to that lower intake um, and we see this a lot with women's, especially Jesus, pregnancy brain is just a thing right now. Um, 
we see this a lot with women especially you know they'll come to us under consuming food doing a normal regular amount of exercise but they feel like garbage because they're just not eating enough for what their activity levels are and they have a really hard time eating more than that even 100 calories more than that because it's been like that for so long so there are other aspects and things that you may be feeling even if you are consuming all the nutrient-dense foods pros and cons pros nothing's off limits yeah you can, you can eat anything um anybody can do it fits any type of quote-unquote diet you can morph this any way shape or form you know, i any agree other, any other pros um i think that's honestly the biggest one and has many wings under it if you will but essentially not having to cut or restrict certain types of foods or things that you enjoy out of your diet will be sustainable in the long term. Yep, everything in moderation. Cons is you are weighing every single thing that you put into your mouth. Or every, every single thing. You're approaching it incorrectly as far as tracking goes. We've talked about this plenty of times on the podcast is your approach to tracking matters just as much as the actual tracking. And if you're somebody who is very all or nothing with it, you take your food scale everywhere, you don't know how to eat without tracking or weighing things, that is a con, but not because of what it is, but because of your approach to it, if that makes sense. Well, you kind of have to track everything if you're doing caloric restriction. So unless you're weighing those things ahead of time. Well, yeah, but like for our clients, for example, there are people who are in a fat loss phase who have mindful eating days or their approach is generally more balanced and healthier than somebody who is tracking obsessively every gram, every piece of gum, every seasoning, you know, like going over the top with it. It doesn't have to be that either. There are different levels to it. So that is something you're going to you know, if you can learn it on your own or if you're working with a coach, that's something you'll get into um, as far as intuitive days and the balanced approach to prevent burnout. Very key tools. Uh, in a general sense, though, you are tracking what you are consuming. And just for those of you who are going to use this this episode and kind of run with it, you don't want to have that many mindful days if you are doing this on your own and you're new to this, um, especially as you're starting your journey off because you're going to be spinning your tires if you're mindfully eating Two, two out of five days, if you're, so if you're taking the weekend off from tracking, why am I not losing weight? Well, you're probably overeating on the weekends. Yeah, so mindful eating is also a practice and something practice. that takes time to really do the right way. Ideally with a coach initially, but obviously you can clearly learn how to mindfully eat on your own. Um, number two, dietary restriction. So dietary restriction is cutting out a food group, a specific food to create Again, a caloric restriction. So because you're cutting out this food, it's going to create this reduction in calories that brings you below your maintenance baseline. Now, this only works if it's a substantial food, something you eat often, and it's calorically dense. So if you're cutting out pickles, tomatoes, and carrots, that's your, your dietary restriction, you're not going to lose weight because obviously those have next to no calories unless you were eating four pounds of them a day. Let's talk about the popular ones out there. Keto and the Whole30 probably headline the list. And the reason they are so successful is not because you cut the fucking food out. 
Can you tell this isn't my favorite? It's because you created a caloric restriction due to the dietary restriction. So you reduce calories by cutting out certain foods. I will say, this isn't specific to keto, but specific to the Whole30, you're, you're setting some baseline in regards to removing all the extra nonsense uh, as far as processed foods, as far as added sugars. I would say you're probably going to, not probably, you are going to an extreme and that's why it's the Whole30, not the whole life because you're doing this for a short period of time and it's not maintainable. So I'll hold off as much of my, uh, my tones and my opinions until the end as possible. So the Whole30... Keto, obviously cutting out all carbs. Carnivore. Carnivore. <laughs> um, what else? What is Atkins? Is that low fat? That's just low carbs. Oh. Or is that there, South Beach? I don't know. But there, example A is there are many of these in this category. And they're, all of these in this category, are, are we not saying opinions right now? Let's hold off on opinions. All right. So you're cutting out either an entire food group like carbs or types of foods. Or maybe you are doing something that doesn't even have a name per se, but you yourself have set rules that you can't eat cookies or birthday cake or ice cream or you cut out something. Um, So you're taking something out of your diet, whether it's something that you enjoy and just have no control over or is an entire food group. You're removing it. There's a restriction there. Point blank. The end. So the pro is that you just don't eat the food that you've deemed. It's pretty out of straightforward. You, you don't have to count calories. You just, I'm not eating that thing. And theoretically, that will create a deficit. Um, again, you, not again, it's the first time I'm mentioning it. You can technically still overeat utilizing a dietary restriction so you still have to be kind of mindful and if you're not losing weight you have to kind of figure out why but that's the pro is you're not counting it's pretty effortless you're just not allowed to eat something um the con is that you're not allowed to eat that something and that's going to make not eating it a lot harder from a mindset perspective when you tell yourself i cannot have this or i'm not allowed to have this that immediately becomes the thing that your brain constantly thinks about and wants and craves. That's where we see a spike in cravings. That's where we see it harder to adhere to, especially when it comes to events and holidays and things like that. So you have to weigh in that mindset side of things and also what your lifestyle looks like because if you're cutting out all carbs and we're coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas and the holiday season and you're going to be miserable the entire time, is that worth it to you? Maybe for some people it is. Maybe for most of you it probably is not. But the mindset plays a big role with this one. So evaluate when you're going through these potential diets and strategies. Is this something you will continue for the rest of your life? If the answer is no, Go ahead and draw a line right through that that method. Cross it right off. If you do not maintain the practice, you do not maintain the result. You will not maintain the benefit. You will not maintain the weight loss. You will not maintain whatever it is, not even just health and fitness. If you do not continue doing what it is that got you there, you will not maintain that. So all you did was waste your time. If you will not continue that beyond the point after which you've reached your goal, if you're done with the strategy after that, cross it off. 
Don't even do it. Don't even look at it. Stop thinking about it. It's out. So that's really the con. Um, now going into something like carnivore, a specific con there is as you're cutting out all plants, you're also creating a ton of nutritional deficiencies, which no opinions, <laughs> no opinions. Time restriction. The concept of eating within a designated window. This, this one's is your very popular window, right now. Which, again, in theory, not always necessarily the case, but in theory will create a restriction, a uh, deficit in calories from your maintenance baseline because you're only allowed to eat within this window, this period of time. So assuming you are not having a feast within that to take advantage and just go buck wild because I can only eat for eight hours or 10 hours or whatever it is, you'll be entering a caloric deficit, which will allow you to lose weight. So intermittent fasting is what we see. Um, whether it is, you know, 8, 16, 24, 10, 16, 8. Did I say that backwards the other way? Some people eat one meal a day. Some people take two days off from eating. Different ways you can handle it. Intermittent fasting. You're just going to look at me? <laughs> I didn't know if you were asking me a question. Um, I think that for some people, they can make this a lifestyle and it's something that they can do forever. Um, I think there are a lot of drawbacks to it. And again, there's a big restriction as far as like, obviously the time. Um, so social events, social events, you have to consider like, what if you go out to dinner or like, what if something happens where you miss that window? How is that going to feel for you? How is that going to allow you to adhere to the plan? So again, you have to consider your lifestyle, even if this is something that Susie at work said works really great for her and raves about it and she's lost a ton of weight. Is this something that, number one, you want to do, but number two, you see yourself doing for the rest of your life? Because if not, what happens after? Are you back at square one? Probably. This is also something people will say falls more in line with ancestral eating. Um, there are benefits in regards to regulating your circadian rhythm. And this is why I get a little sensitive using the term intermittent fasting, because technically any eating pattern is intermittent fasting. We all go to sleep. We all go to sleep. So you're not eating constantly. There's what is under my foot. Sorry about that. Uh, you are eating during certain periods and you are not eating during certain periods, which is intermittent fasting. I will also say like for a, maybe a 24, 10 or a 12, 12. So 24, I'm sorry, 14, 10 or a 12, 12, 14 hours, not eating 10 hours, eating uh, 12 hours, not eating 12 hours, eating. I, in the spirit of intermittent fasting, I don't like to call that intermittent fasting. It's, it's an eating. I'm, I'm more open to the concept of the, the verbiage of eating window. I'm going to eat during this period of time, which is probably just me being stubborn and not using intermittent fasting. Reason I'm saying all this is there are benefits to regulating your circadian rhythm. Um, you know, not consistently eating, allowing your stomach to be empty for a little while so it can go through the stomach sweeping mechanism, uh, which is where you're clearing out dead cells and it's preventing bacterial overgrowth, which is huge 
for minimizing gut issues. Um, you know, we, we all have, <laughs> we call it IBS, but it's just where we have a dysfunctional gut and it's because we're eating shit and it's because we're eating all of the fucking time. You know, I did the same thing when I was in my quote unquote bodybuilder days I never competed, but you know, being in the health and fitness industry, you're always trying to do everything you can to, to bulk up and cut fat. So I was eating, there were periods where I was eating six to eight meals a day and I was eating close to 5,000 calories a day, which is why I had to eat eight times a day because it's an absurd amount of food. When that happened, I was always bloated. My stomach did not have the ability to sweep itself. My digestive, my digestive system never had a, an opportunity to kind of chill out for a minute. It was always processing, which takes away from energy levels just in that regard. But uh, specifically to starting and stopping that eating window, so you know, after you wake up, before you go to bed, um, I would say less critical to wait after eating, but for all of us, not eating directly before bed is huge. Yeah, having that time to digest has impacted both of our lives so much, and it was something I didn't even really think was an issue but for somebody whose sleep has always been pretty great like I don't have issues falling asleep I don't have issues staying asleep doing this and giving myself a good two three hours before bed to digest has improved it even more so even if you think you're in a good place and you're like oh I don't need to do that try it it can't hurt it can't and you will be hungry for the first probably it will feel weird yeah you'll be like oh I feel like I need like a little snack or something but Try not to and just see how it impacts your sleep overall. Uh, this was more critical for me. So we'll not go through the Barrett's esophagus story, but tons of uh, issues over the last decade, finally in a really, really good place now. Um, but nighttime was always my problem. It's when I felt not the only problem, but when I felt my worst. So I had the wedge pillow. Um, but I will say if I stop eating and even to this day, like I'll have minimal symptoms, but I'll, I'll feel a little bit if I eat within a couple hours before bed, just because it was a long day and I'm fucking ravenous. And I'm, so sometimes I'll just, I'll go through the ravenous grind and not eat because I feel better and I sleep better. But the times that I do eat within a couple hours of bed, I'll wake up, I'll feel a little bit sick in the middle of the night, my heart's pounding, my chest is a little bit tight, I just don't feel great. Um, if I give myself that three hour minimum, so I know you said two to three, it's ideally three hours is the minimum, don't eat within three hours. And optimally is probably four, which is a bit of a stretch. If you can do it, great. But anywhere in between that three plus window and you're in a really good spot. Um, you're just, you're not digesting nutrients well. You're not digesting well, period, when you're sleeping and still processing food. Um, it just throws everything off. You're not going to sleep well. You're not going to go through those, those uh, sleep cycles as well as you would if you're able to just sleep and not be digesting food. Um, so in regards to optimizing overall health, in regards to optimizing your circadian rhythm, energy levels, that's it's huge after the first couple of weeks when you are sleeping through the night and your body knows what's up. So, you know, I, what I do, I wake up, I drink my electrolytes, get into the garage gym, get my lift in, and then I get Kai up. So sometimes I eat pretty soon after the workout. Sometimes it'll be another 30, 40, maybe, maybe an hour. Um, so there's a good hour to two hours after I wake up before I actually eat any food. Um, then I actually wait a little while longer to have my coffee, which is also good to let your body wake up and not rely on that caffeine spike to get you up. 
And then before bed, like I said, I'm great when we have dinner at five o'clock and then we're in bed by 8.30, asleep by nine, hopefully on a good night, on the ideal night. Um, if I eat by six, I'm okay. If I eat after six, I'm a little fucked. Um, not terrible because I don't eat like at eight or nine, but after six, I'm, I'm not ideal. So that's how I set it up. And I don't call the intermittent fasting. It ends up being usually within a 10 hour window. You know, there are times and I did, I did a little more quote unquote IF, um, I don't know, six months ago where I was fully within that eight hour window. So I started eating at 10 o'clock and I stopped eating by six. Uh, so that was my eight hour eating window. I was just, it, 10 o'clock was a little too long to stretch to stretch breakfast out to. Um, didn't feel great. And if I was busy that day and I missed a meal and then I had to either eat a second meal within two hours, which again, not ideal. You want that stomach sweeping mechanism to kick on and that's a minimum of three hours, ideally three to four-ish. Um, so I would usually miss a meal and then I would be very undernourished. So when I was doing that, initially I wasn't tracking, but then I started getting really tired and I was tracking calories after that point to see where it was coming in. And it was like 2,100 calories, which is absurdly low for me. Um, I typically, I was getting fucking lean, but I typically maintain around 2,800 to 3,000 calories. Usually it's probably a little bit lower than that right now. It's probably closer to the 27, 28, um, but again, this is why you're creating that caloric restriction because you are restricting the time in which you can eat. So you are forcing yourself to consume fewer calories in most cases. So that was a really long run around on intermittent fasting in regards to time restriction to create the deficit. Anything else you want to add to that? I think I said everything I had to say. So, <laughs> so pros, well, back. hang on. Pros oh, okay. is again, you're not really thinking about it. There's no restrictions um, aside from time. You're not counting calories. You're not cutting anything out. You're just, this Tracking is the window. Time. Um, so if you could tell my tone, I mean, let's go to cons first. Cons, you can only eat within that window. So it's a little more difficult, a lot more difficult, I'll say, for social events. Um, and if you are compromising on that time restriction because of all these social events, then you're not really doing it. And again, it's kind of like caloric restriction, but not tracking on the weekends you're going to be spinning your tires. It's not just a magic fix where you do it occasionally and see great results. So by my tone, you can probably tell what my least favorite was. Um, I will say that I would put time restriction over dietary restriction just because anything where you're cutting foods out for no reason is just a, it's a no-no for me unless that food group is junk food. Then, Agreed. Then cool. Yeah. I mean, we've been doing what we do for a decade now and we have had... I would say majority of our clients come to us after doing some sort of dietary restriction, also known as fad diets, quick fixes. Um, again, do they work? Yeah, they sure do. Nope, time out. Well, do they work in the short term? Yes. Do you end up right back to where you started because you had no intention of it. finishing it for the rest of your life? No. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The answer to my question is yes. Well, I'm saying they don't work forever and eventually get to a point where you realize that or you realize that it doesn't have to be or feel miserable like that. Because, um, I mean, most of us are going to want to enjoy a variety of foods and there is major benefits to consuming a variety of macro all of the macronutrients. 
So that's definitely our least favorite and least recommended. So to elaborate on that concept there for a second, what we talk about on our discovery calls to prospective clients, um, what we were touching on just now is people come to us usually having gone through the fad system. And, you know, the, it, the reason that they may see great results and they fall back to where they started is because they enter this process with a short-term mindset. I will follow this plan, this program, this protocol for three, six, nine, 12 months. Once I hit my results, once I hit my goal, I will scale back to what I was doing before. So you see this progress, hopefully, and then you free fall back to where you started because you stopped maintaining the practice. Like we talked about before, you don't maintain the practice, you don't maintain the benefit, you don't maintain the goal. So what we do, SD Evolution, one-to-one health coaching, is eliminate the up and down roller coaster and transition this into a longer-term view of progression. But that happens by getting to know you. It gets it happens by figuring out which of the methods make the most sense for you and your personal situation. Um, so if you're seeing great results, but it doesn't sound like you're going to continue that process when you're done working with us, we will change the plan even though you're still seeing great results, because if you're not going to continue that when you're done working with us, again, the free fall. So we will figure out what you can do for that longer term. And that's the same thing you need to be doing for yourself in regards to which of these makes the most sense for you. Caloric restriction, dietary restriction, time restriction, whatever the fuck you're doing and wherever the fuck you're doing it. If you are not going to continue it after you reach your goal, then cross it off the list. We already said that. I'm going to say it again. Cross it off the list. You're wasting your time. You're going to start over in a year. Probably sooner. Probably sooner. But by understanding the basics of what you're doing, so let's say for sake of simplicity, you are following caloric restriction and you don't want to count calories and macros forever. And you're not quite at your goal, but you're close. So you want to scale back. You can say based on understanding portion sizes of your protein, carbs, and fats that you typically eat, if I have this size of my chicken in this amount of rice or this amount of potatoes or whatever the fuck you're eating for that meal. You can scale it back because you understand the underlying principles and concepts of what's happening there. I'm eating less food. I'm still eating nutritionally diverse, but I'm eating smaller portion sizes to create a caloric restriction. And I can do that without counting everything, without weighing everything. That's one underlying principle and concept. Now we have those things we'll talk about with clients for movement for mental health, for training, you know, if we're not doing certain things, if we're on vacation, if we want to scale back for a little break, just to feel really good and maintain very close to where we left off. We do have to be more dialed in when we have a strategic goal, when we have a, a more significant goal. But to step off that roller coaster and see this longer term view of progression, that means we need to see progress, 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 maintain, progress, 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 maintain. So where we typically see the free fall, we need to make that a maintenance chunk on the line graph and that's how that happens by creating sustainable practices by creating sustainable habits that you will continue to implement after you've achieved your goal or when you need a break or fill in the blank here so that is why we are personally against the dietary restriction not fully against the time restriction but the far and away winner and what we do with our clients in most cases not all of them most cases is caloric restriction. This is the most flexible. It the is the most educational. Most educational. You're learning about what's happening. So it's more hands-on, but you're also learning about the foods you feel best consuming. Um, you enjoy consuming. You're not limited. You're not restricted. There's no immediate, oh my gosh, I can't have that. So now that's all I can think about. 
Uh, it's the most maintainable. It's the most flexible. It is the most all of the above. Um, it just takes a little more work in one department where you're, you're constantly aware, which again, as you've heard us say, and we'll say a hundred more times, is a huge tool. You become aware. You learn a lot more when you are aware of things. But your approach matters. Like I said before, if you are treating tracking macros and this caloric restriction as a fad diet, if you're approaching it in that same mindset where it's like, okay, my coach gave me these numbers to hit. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to really pay attention to anything else or really you know, learn about how I'm getting to these numbers or implement mindful eating days or, you know, implement days where maybe I just track protein. Like if you don't also work on it with intention and implement it with intention, it will just be just like any other diet. So your intent matters and your approach matters when it comes to this approach. So that's our pick. It is caloric restriction for everything we just said. Uh, a close number, not a close number, a, a number two, reasonably close number two is time restriction. Because again, there's different levels to that. So it could be a close number two. It could be that you know you are someone who is consistently eating and snacking throughout the day from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. And it makes a huge difference to say, I'm only going to eat for 12 hours. Like this is my 12-hour window. This is my 10-hour window. That 10 to 12, I would say, is pretty optimal. It's not restrictive in regards to like flexibility of lifestyle, whereas the eight hour or shorter single meal a day concept come into play. There's a lot more, um, I don't want to say lenience, but social allowance there in a, in a 10 to 12 hour window. And from there, just making, if you're making quality choices, so two, two changes, you're cutting out process bullshit, which again, you could kind of call dietary restriction, but you're just being aware and cutting out all the junk food and eating within a 10 or 12 hour window, a lot of you are gonna lose a lot of weight. A lot of weight. And that's gonna be pretty effortless in regards to not tracking, not saying I can't have these foods, these types of foods besides the junk. You will lose weight, you're gonna feel a thousand times better. You're gonna sleep better. Everything's gonna start improving. Your doctor's gonna say, hey, what's up? And you're like, hey, not really thinking about it, just doing it, making changes. That's probably the easiest one. So maybe it is a close number two in that specific example cutting out the shit and eating within a 10 to 12 hour, 12 hour window. Easiest. Our favorite is still caloric restriction. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, those are our thoughts. Those are our two cents. Those are the methods making you guys aware, allowing you to create changes, giving you some tools to mess around with, but we're going to end it here. That covered, that covered it. Where can they find you? I'm at Alessandra Skutnik. I'm at Josh Skutnik. Everything else is linked in the show notes.